Well, good morning again. On June 19, 2004, a uh, Northwest Airlines flight, flight 1152, took off from our Twin Cities International Airport here, headed for Rapid City, South Dakota, on what was supposed to be a fairly routine flight, just a short couple-hour flight to Rapid City. And the pilot of this flight had actually flown this route hundreds of times. It was one of his common routes, and no big deal. But on this particular day, for some reason, the pilot decided that he was going to ignore his navigation equipment and his radar, his guidance systems, and instead he was going to fly by sight, relying on the visual landmarks that he could see out the window, and, uh, and fly by sight alone. Now, that, to be honest with you, that's not too uncommon for pilots to do. Pilots will oftentimes fly by sight using visual landmarks. They'll follow the freeways below them or the mountains or the rivers. But typically, it's a good thing to keep your eye on your guidance systems at the same time, right? Well, everything was going fine in this flight. The pilot was headed towards Rapid City. All was going well. And sure enough, he looked out his window and got close to Rapid City, and he saw a large airport down there. And he saw the terminal, and he saw the runways, and so the pilot began to bring his plane down for a landing. And yeah, it was a great landing, nice and smooth, no big deal, nice smooth landing. The pilot then began to taxi his plane off the runway towards the terminal, when all of a sudden, four military uh, police jeeps come flying out of the hangars with sirens blaring, lights blazing, and these military police jeeps come surrounding this Northwest Airlines flight full of soldiers armed with M16 machine guns pointed at the airplane. Well, you can imagine the pilots looking around like, what in the world's going on here? You know, he's thinking, holy cow, are there terrorists on board or something? And, and the passengers, I mean, they're freaking out, right? Because they're like, what in the world? I just wanted to go to Rapid City, and now I'm getting surrounded with machine guns pointed at me. Well, it turns out that because this pilot chose to ignore his guidance systems and fly by sight alone, this pilot had mistakenly landed 12 miles off course 12 miles east of Rapid City at Ellsworth United States Air Force Base. All because he chose to ignore his guidance systems, his radar, and instead fly by his sight alone, thinking that he knew the way. The plane ended up being detained for over four hours. I mean, you can imagine, friends, right, in our post-9-11 world, that the Air Force wasn't too excited about seeing a big passenger jet come, coming down for an unauthorized landing on their runway, right? And the plane was detained for four hours while they tried to figure out what in the world is going on here. You know, it's very interesting. Where we place our trust in life really matters, doesn't it? Where we place our trust in life really matters. Whether we're talking about people or relationships or ideas or things, where we place our trust can make or break us. And where we place our trust will have a direct impact on our experiences throughout our journey of life. Will we experience life to the full? Will we find happiness, love, contentment? Or will the people or things in which we trust lead us off course into heartbreak, failed dreams, and empty promises. Where we place our trust, it really matters. 
This past month, Pastor Rick has been leading us on a journey through the book of Proverbs. And today, as we continue this journey, we're going to pick up in chapter 3. Today, as we look at chapter 3, the question I want to focus on together is simply this. Where will we place our trust in life? Where will we place our trust in life? Now, God's Word gives us much guidance on this question. And today, as we look at the book of Proverbs chapter 3, this chapter in particular is full of God's wisdom in terms of where we should place our trust. Now, I'd like for us to begin today by reading together some sections out of chapter 3. We're going to read Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 8 together today. Please follow along with me. Proverbs 3, verses 1 through 8. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and shun evil. Powerful words from God's Word on where we should place our trust. The question is, will we heed God's guidance? Will we heed God's guidance? And really, friends, that's the heart of the matter, isn't it? That's our struggle as humans. We were created by God to live in a relationship with Him, and He has told us very clearly in His Word how to experience life and life to the full. And yet, our basic human dilemma can be boiled down to one word. Trust. Trust. Will we trust the Lord and His counsel for our lives? Or will we stubbornly insist on doing life our own way, thinking that we know better, that we can make our path straight, without any guidance from our Creator. You know, it reminds me of a story that our Director of Care Ministries, Beth Phillips, shared with me just this week about a guy who persistently chose to trust in his own wisdom, and he had determined that he knew the right way. He knew the right way in life. Well, one afternoon, this guy's driving home from work, and his wife frantically called him on his cell phone. She said, Honey, honey, be careful. I was just listening to the news, and they said that there's a crazy man driving down the wrong way on the freeway. Well, the man, he, he said back to his wife, he said, he said, Honey, there's not just one guy, there's hundreds of them. You know, we laugh at stories like this. But the real tragedy, friends, is that this is how the majority of people in our world choose to live their lives, right? Proverbs 3, 5 through, 5 through 6 tells us to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts and to lean not on our own understanding. And then verse 7 admonishes us, Do not be wise in your own eyes. And yet, for most in our world, even many of us in the church at times, we think we know better, don't we? We run through life. We think we're on the right path. We think we've got it all figured out. 
and we ignore God's guidance. And then we find ourselves off course in places we don't want to be, and then we wonder where we went wrong. Am I right? It's crazy, right? But we do it all the time. It's so obvious, yet we do it all the time. It reminds me of that famous or infamous episode from the 1925 World Series. You guys all remember the 1925 World Series, right? right? In 1925, the Washington Senators, now our Minnesota Twins, were playing their arch rivals, the Pittsburgh Pirates. It was the World Series, and these two teams had actually faced each other the previous year in the World Series as well, when Washington had won. These two teams didn't like each other. Okay, there was no love lost between these two teams. And it was Game 7 of the 1925 World Series. So the series was tied three games apiece. And it was Game 7, the bottom of the ninth inning, with a tie score. And Washington was up to bat, already having two outs. Get the drama here, friends, right? Okay? Game 7 World Series, series tied, bottom of the ninth, tie game, two outs, Washington's up to bat, one chance left. But Washington had hope because, you see, their best player was coming up to bat next. A guy by the name of Goose Goslin. Goose Goslin is actually today a Hall of Famer, one of the best baseball players of all time. In fact, during his era, Goose Goslin was second only to Babe Ruth in home runs. I mean, he was a great ball player. And you can imagine that if they wanted anybody coming up to bat, the Senators wanted Goose Goslin up to bat with this one last chance to win the game. So Goose Goslin gets up to bat. And he ends up working the pitcher to a full count. I mean, can you imagine this, right? People listening on the radio, people sitting in the stand. Game 7, tied series, tie game, bottom of the ninth, two outs, Full count, and the best hitter in baseball next to Babe Ruth is up to bat. Okay? Full count, the pitcher stares down Goose Goslin. He takes his windup, and he delivers a fastball just right down the center. I mean, it, you're just talking like a meatball coming at Goose Goslin, and he is just salivating seeing this thing coming, right? So Goose Goslin sees this fastball coming right down the middle, and he takes his swing, and sure enough, bam! just whacks this thing and the ball just goes flying everyone in the stadium leaps to their feet thinking this is a home run right the ball goes flying out of the infield over the second baseman's head goes flying into the outfield over the center fielder's head the center fielder's like oh my god watches his ball fly over his head he starts chasing it in the meantime goose goslin starts running the bases right well the ball ends up coming just short of a home run. It hits the very top of the fence and bounces down into fair territory. Well, Goose Goslin this whole time, he's running because he's a good hitter and he knows that that thing's going to be close. So he's already started trucking around the base paths, right? He rounds first, starts heading for second. He touches second, starts heading for third. By the time he's halfway to third, the outfielders finally picked up the ball. Well, Goose Goslin touches third base, starts heading for home, the outfielder throws the ball into home plate with all his might, and everybody in the stands is on their feet because they know this is going to be close, right? Goose Goslin comes racing into home plate, dives head first, right as the catcher catches the ball, and a cloud of dust erupts around home plate. And everybody in the stadium 
goes silent waiting to hear what the call's going to be, right? The home plate umpire, when the dust settles, the home plate umpire says, He's safe! He's safe! And everybody, again, erupts, leaps to their feet. People listening on the radio around the country leap to their feet. Goose Gosling's just won the World Series, one of the greatest plays of all time. Unbelievable! But all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the first base umpire comes running down towards home plate. The first base umpire comes running down towards home plate. He says, no, no, he's out, he's out. And everybody, you can imagine, they're like, no, what are you talking about? Get this bum out of here. Who Get out. It turns out that Goose Goslin, in his speed running around the bases, he failed to touch first base. He failed to do the most basic and most important thing, touch first base. And because of that, none of the other bases mattered. Because he failed to do the first and most basic thing touch first base, and he was called out. See, Goose Goslin thought he was doing everything right. He was running the bases, thought he was on track to be a big hero. Yet he missed the most important thing. He failed to touch first base, and because of that, nothing, nothing else mattered. You know, my friends, as you run the base paths of life, as you go through this journey of life, where we're all looking for meaning, we're all looking for significance, we're all looking for someone or something to trust. Have you touched first base? Have you done the most basic thing required so that you might know life and life to the full? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tells us to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts. And God promises us, friends, that when we do this, when we place our trust in Him, when we submit our entire lives to Him, and when we live our lives in accordance with God's will for us, God promises us that He will make our paths straight, that we will know and experience life to the full, the life that God wants for us. And yet so many people in our world, they miss, they miss this most basic truth. They run the base paths of life, they think they're on the right track. They think the people and the things in which they've placed their trust will bring them safely home. And yet in the end, in broken promises and shattered dreams, they find that all they've done, all they've done is rounded the bases of misplaced trust. The bases of empty promises. And they failed to embrace the most basic and foundational truth in life that it is when we trust in the Lord with all of our hearts that we will find the life that we were created for, the life that we all long for. But you know, my friends, the bases of misplaced trust are deceptive. Our world offers all kinds of promises and claims that will supposedly bring us joy and fulfillment, even salvation. And a lot of people run after these things. What are some of these bases of misplaced trust? Well, you know, a lot of people run after the first base of misplaced trust. And that's the idea that in order to experience the kind of life you long for, all you need to do is simply trust yourself. 
trust yourself. People will tell you that all the answers lie within you. You just need to trust yourself. Or you just need to listen to your heart. How many of you heard that one before, right? Just trust yourself. Listen to your heart. You know, friends, all you need to do is go home this week and watch a few episodes of Oprah Winfrey. I guarantee you'll hear some latest, greatest expert get on the TV telling you, just trust yourself. Listen to your heart. The answers lie within. Go home and type in a Google search sometime. Type in the words, trust yourself. You'll literally come up with hundreds, maybe thousands of websites claiming that they have discovered the truth in life, that you need to trust yourself. Listen to your heart. I went online this week, found one website, trust and acceptance of yourself in your inner power. Another one, how to trust yourself, nurture yourself. Another one, the dream team, celebrity life coaching. Trust yourself therapy. The trust yourself system shows you how to make the right choice, avoid adversity, and never get blindsided again. And friends, it's an inside job. Trust yourself, right? I found online this week a Bob Dylan song. Bob Dylan, one of our hometown heroes, right? Bob Dylan wrote a song called Trust Yourself. Trust yourself to do the things that only you know best. Trust yourself to do what's right and not be second-guessed. If you need somebody to trust, trust yourself. Trust yourself to know the way that will prove true in the end. Trust yourself to find the path where there is no if and when, when the truth may only be ashes and dust. If you want somebody to trust, trust yourself. Trust yourself. Friends, let me ask you a question. How's that trust yourself thing working out for you? I don't know about you, friends, but, man, when I think back on my life, some of my biggest mistakes and disappointments have come as a result of trusting myself, listening to my own heart, thinking that I know the way. You see, the truth is, the Bible tells us in Jeremiah 17:9 that the hearts of men and women are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. This is why Proverbs 3, 5-7 through 7 tells us, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Don't be wise in your own eyes, but trust in the Lord and His wisdom. Friends, you know, we've got issues, right? I mean, we're screw-ups. <laughs> we all are. I mean, to be honest with you, if you guys knew everything about me, I guarantee you, you wouldn't be out here listening to me today. At the same time, though, if I knew everything about you, I probably wouldn't be here either, right? You know what I'm saying? We're screw-ups. We got issues. We all do. And we're supposed to trust ourselves? It's like the pilot who ignores his navigation equipment thinking he knows the way. It's crazy. And yet we do it all the time. And we wind up in trouble. And, you know, friends, I would bet that if we took the time today, we could be here all day sharing stories of how trusting ourselves has led nowhere good. And yet this is one of the most common bases of misplaced trust in our world today. Trust yourself. Another common base of misplaced trust, second base, if you will, is the false promise of what we often call the American dream or the false idols of our culture. 
the idea that life's about making a lot of money, climbing the ladder of success, having a lot of stuff, being the most popular kid in school, hooking up with as many girls as you can, and living for the next party. Eat, drink, and be merry, and hopefully rich, for tomorrow you die. And a lot of people go this route. But it's a base of misplaced trust. And it leaves people empty. And it destroys a lot of lives. A couple of weeks ago, I got an interesting email from my father. He sent me an article uh, about John Lennon, famous member of the Beatles, one of the most popular icons in the history of the world, right? Popular music. The guy had achieved all the success, all the fame, all the money, had all the girls he wanted. And yet, towards the end of his life, John Lennon admitted the emptiness and despair that he felt in his life. It's an interesting article my dad sent me about a letter that John Lennon wrote to Reverend Oral Roberts back in 1973. It's an interesting, let me read this for you. In 1973, John Lennon wrote a remarkable letter to the Christian evangelist Oral Roberts. The letter was prompted by the fact that Lennon's cousin had asked Roberts to pray for John and Yoko, and he had agreed to do so. Lennon's letter was handwritten and rambling. In it, he revealed that his life's journey had left him empty, fearful, and suicidal. John Lennon wrote, Reverend Roberts, this is ex-Beatle John Lennon. I've been wanting to write you, but I guess I didn't really want to face reality. I never do this. This is why I take drugs. Reality frightens me and paranoids me. True, I have a lot of money, but basically I'm afraid to face the problems in my life. Let me begin to say, I regret that I said the Beatles were more popular than Jesus. I don't even like myself anymore. Dot, 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 guilt. Lennon proceeded to tell Roberts his life story. He emphasized his unhappy childhood. He told about his mom dying when he was an infant and how his father deserted him at age three. He talked about how he wanted to kill his father after he became successful and his dad came to him and requested money. He mentioned a song that he and Paul McCartney had written called Money Can't Buy Me Love. And he said that he had discovered the truth of that statement. He ended the letter with a cry of despair. Reverend Roberts, I want happiness. I don't want to keep up with the drugs. Can you explain to me what Christianity can do for me? Is it phony? Can he really love me? I want out of hell. He then added a PS that read, I am, I hate to say, under the influence of pills now. I can't stop. I only wish I could thank you for caring. Lennon had already expressed his despair publicly in 1968 in his song, I'm So Tired. It was written at the height of the Beatles' popularity, creativity, and wealth. In the song, Lennon expressed the emptiness of his successful and wealthy life with these words. I'd give you everything I've got for a little peace of mind. You know, the sad fact of John Lennon's life is that he died without ever finding the true peace that he longed for. He missed the most important thing, and it was right there in front of him. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. 
and that it's only in trusting in the Lord with all of our hearts that we will find the peace that we long for. In the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, we read, Be anxious about nothing, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Friends, you want peace in life? You're only going to find it in one place, in Jesus Christ. You won't find it chasing the American dream. You won't find it chasing the false idols of our culture. And if you don't believe me, all you need to do is ask Michael Jackson or Bernie Madoff or Denny Hecker or Anna Nicole Smith or Heath Ledger. But in reality, you don't even need to go to that much trouble. Because sadly, we probably all know people whose lives have been battered and even ruined by chasing after the false idols of our culture, the so-called American dream, the values of our culture and world. And it's the second base of misplaced trust. Now, the third base of misplaced trust that people often run to looking for life is probably the most deceptive of all. And this is the base of religion. Religion. See, the Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that God has set eternity in our hearts. He set eternity in our hearts. And what this means is that all of us have an innate desire to know God and to have a relationship with Him. We were created to live in a relationship with God. That's the truth. And so people all over the world today are looking to all kinds of religions and all kinds of philosophies searching for the right path that will lead them to God. Yet the reason why this third base of misplaced trust is so deceptive is because, friends, religion can never lead a person to God. Religion can never lead a person to God. And while most people think that religion is the obvious path, a relationship with God. The truth is, God's not even interested in religion. You know that? He could care less about your religion. See, what is religion, friends? Religion is about our human efforts to get to God. Religion is about what we do as men and women to try and make our lives right with God through our good works, through our sacrifices, through our rituals, through our church attendance, through our money. That's what religion is. But God isn't interested in any of these things. In fact, none of this stuff can do a thing for us in terms of connecting us with God. As we saw earlier, the Bible says that We have a problem. Men and women have a problem. Our hearts are deceitful and wicked. The book of Romans elaborates on this problem and tells us that our real issue and why we're so quick to put our trust in anything but God's truth is because we're corrupted with a spiritual disease called sin. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And you see, friends, sin can best be defined as rebellion. 
rebellion. And all of us have rebelled against God and His will for our lives. Some of us more than others, but we're all rebels, okay? We've all rebelled against our God. And our problem is this. God is holy. And what that means is that God is totally set apart. He is holy. He is morally pure. He is perfect. He has no sin, and He cannot tolerate sin in His presence. God is holy. And so the question is then, how could we, as rebellious sinners, ever do enough in terms of religion? Good works, rituals, church attendance, our money. How on earth could we ever do enough to make our lives right with a God who is perfect? You can't, friends. It's impossible. You can't do it. And this is why religion is a base of misplaced trust. Religion can't do anything to help us. And yet, many people devote their whole lives to religion. Now, friends, you might be thinking here this morning, (laughs) well, shoot, Jason, man, if religion won't help me, then what am I supposed to do, right? I mean, (laughs) I'm in trouble here. You may be. Let me tell you a story that might give you some hope. A story about a friend of my family, a guy by the name of Lou. Lou's an interesting fellow. Lou grew up in Thailand, the Buddhist country of Thailand, the first 20 years of his life. He was from a devout Buddhist family. Lou was a very religious guy. He was following the religion of Buddhism as faithfully as you can. I mean, he was a devoutly religious Buddhist. He was a religious guy. When Lou was 20 years old, Lou earned a scholarship to come to America and study here in the university. And during his year studying here at the university, Lou was befriended by a group of Christian students. And these students began to share their faith with Lou. They began to tell him, tell him about Jesus and about the significance of having a relationship with Jesus and the true peace that's found in Jesus. And Lou, over the course of a year of influence with these Christians, Lou gave his life to Jesus Christ. He became a Christian. He left Buddhism, the religion of Buddhism, to become a follower of Jesus Christ. If Lou were here today, friends, he would tell you a very interesting story. If Lou were here this morning, he would tell you the story of his experience of coming to know Jesus Christ. Lou tells people, he says, when I was a Buddhist, when I was practicing the religion of Buddhism, he says, you know what, I felt like I was in the middle of a large lake and I was drowning and I didn't know how to swim. Lou says, I was doing everything I could, struggling, gasping for air, trying to keep my head above water. And Lou said, it wasn't working. I was going under. And he said, as I was struggling, gasping for breath, he said he looked out on the shore of the lake and he saw Buddha walk up to the edge of the lake. And Buddha walked up to the edge of the lake and Buddha began yelling out instructions to Lou, teaching Lou how to swim. Buddha said, Lou! If you'll just paddle your arms and kick your legs. He said, Lou, you'll be able to keep your head above water. You'll be able to swim. But Buddha said, Lou, you need to make it to shore yourself. 
And Lou explains that as he was struggling, doing everything he could to follow the Buddha's instructions, doing everything he could to swim and keep his head above water, Lou said he was still gasping for air. He was still going under. And he said, as I was going under for the last time, he said, I looked out at the edge of the lake. And this time I saw Jesus Christ walk up to the edge of the lake. But you know what, friends? Jesus Christ, he didn't stop at the edge of the lake. Jesus Christ dove out into that lake and he swam out and he rescued me. And you know what? Jesus brought me safely back to shore. And it was after Jesus brought me safely back to shore, then Jesus taught me how to swim so that I could go back and rescue others. You see, friends, the key difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world is simply this. Christianity is not a religion. Do you realize that? Don't ever make the mistake of thinking that Christianity is just another religion. Christianity is not a religion. Again, what are religions? Religions are our human attempts, our personal efforts to try and make our lives right with God. Christianity, on the other hand, true biblical Christianity, is about God offering the world a gift. It has nothing to do with religion. True biblical Christianity is about God offering the world a gift, a free gift, a relationship with Him that comes by nothing more than simply placing your trust in His Son, Jesus Christ. And it's a gift. It's a gift that God promises will lead to life. The life that we all long for. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. Friends, religion will never do it for you. I don't care how many times you go to church. I don't care how many times you've been to Mass. I don't care how many times you've gone to confession. I don't care where you were baptized. I don't care how good of a person you are. I don't care how much money you give to the church. Religion cannot do anything for you. Because it's a base of misplaced trust. God doesn't even care about religion. He wants your heart. And He wants to give you a gift. And it comes by faith, by trusting in Jesus Christ alone. You'll never find life in religion. That's why it's a base of misplaced trust. Now, in direct contrast to the world's bases of misplaced trust, God has given us base paths that we can trust. Bases that lead to real life and real hope and a real God who really loves us. In John 14, 6, Jesus tells us what these bases are. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And when you trust in me, you'll make it safely home into the arms of your Heavenly Father. My friends, where have you placed your trust today? Where have you placed your trust today? You know, we all trust in something. We're all looking for life. 
question is, are you rounding the basis of misplaced trust? Or have you put your trust in the one true path that leads to life, to real life? Jesus tells us that he is that path. Jesus says he's the path that is the way and the truth and the life. And in John 10.10, Jesus also tells us that he came into this world so that we might know and experience real life. Life to the full. Do you know that kind of life? Do you want that kind of life? Life to the full. Unbelievable. But you can have it. Where have you placed your trust? In that famous verse... John 3.16, we so often see it held up at the football games. Jesus tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever, whoever, I don't care who you are, whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. In the book of 1 John verse one or chapter 1, verse 9, we read that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and he will forgive us of our sins through Jesus Christ and he will cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness, all of our rebellion, all of our, all of our junk if we confess our sins and place our trust in Jesus. In the book of John, chapter 1, verse 12, we read that to all who received him, Jesus Christ, to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gives them the right to be called children of God. Isn't that an awesome promise? That when we place our trust in Jesus Christ, He gives us the right to be called children of God. My friends, do you know today whether or not you're a child of God? Do you know with assurance today that you will be called a child of God when you enter God's presence at the end of your days? It only comes by trusting in Jesus Christ. Where will you place your trust today? Where will you place your trust? Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for revealing to us a path that leads to life and life to the full. And Heavenly Father, I know that myself and many of us in here have we've spent too much time on the basis of misplaced trust. They lead nowhere fast. They lead nowhere good. They lead us off course into broken dreams, broken hearts, empty promises. But Lord, you provide a path that leads to life. It's found in your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for that gift. I thank you for the difference that gift has made in my life. I thank you for the hope that I've experienced because of you. Hope that I've found in you. Lord Jesus, I can imagine that in a room this size, there might be somebody here today who doesn't know for sure if they've earned the right or received the right to be called a child of God by placing their trust in you and Jesus. Lord, if there's somebody here today who does not know for sure where they stand in terms of a relationship with you, I would just pray, God, that even right here, right now, you would tug at their hearts, Lord. Draw them to yourself here this morning. Help them, Lord, to turn their lives to you here today, to put their trust in you. When we trust in the Lord with all of our hearts, you will make our path straight. You will lead us on that path that leads to life. 
Friends, as we pray here today, I just need you to know your days are not guaranteed. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. The next hour of your life is not guaranteed. And do you know today where you will spend eternity? When you reach the end, will you be called out or will you be welcomed home into the loving arms of your Father, your Father in heaven? Religion won't do it for you. Being a good person won't do it for you. Giving a lot of money won't do it for you. Trusting in yourself definitely will not do it for you. Do you know Jesus Christ? Just ask him into your life. Confess your sins and tell him that you need him to be your Savior this morning. And you have call, can be called a child of God and know that with confidence right here today. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for the promises you've given us. We thank you for the hope that we have in you. And we are grateful for the gift you've given us. The gift. A gift is a free thing. We can't earn it. It's something that's given. Freely given. And we thank you, Lord, for that gift. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.